Welcome to the College Football Bros. I'm Michael Newman. And I'm Trey Newman. On today's episode, we are going to get into the 2024 recruiting cycle. We'll give our biggest winners and losers. But first, we have a few bits of news to get to. We'll start out with just the college football world as we know it completely changing overnight. Not really. It'll take a few years here. But the Big Ten and the SEC have set up an advisory committee that will look into the college sports landscape and try and find some solutions pretty vague we were just talking about this before the podcast kind of vague as to what exactly they're going to be doing and definitely don't call it an alliance because as greg, yeah. greg sankey said that's that's a bad word uh but we also have tennessee and virginia suing the ncaa and the judge in that case said the ncaa is likely to lose on the merits of the case so that means that the, the NIL rules likely violate the Sherman Antitrust Act. So that is potentially a huge, huge deal that could lead to major changes within the sport. We're obviously going to see major changes one way or the other. It's just a matter of, of what it's going to look like. But any thoughts on either of those news items? Well, that's just it. I mean, like with this Big Ten SEC alliance or whatever, for lack of a better word, because it is the, the college sports are at a crossroads and they can they both have said like they're not they don't have either neither has like authority to implement any changes but they're just going to try and gather ideas or whatever to make you know college sports better cuz something has to change like they know it um then something will change and then like you mentioned with these antitrust cases there's other um you know things that might be going to trial with um you know denial of prior NIL deals labor law cases unionization of you know player like at the case at Dartmouth and title nine issues they're gonna have to sort out like you know the leagues they 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 might be able to um kind of settle on some things maybe with you know congress or um and and kind of help the ncaa and maybe shift some of the power from the ncaa to to them but it's um there's but there's other things like with college football like and even college sports the recruiting calendar is a mess like that's something that kind of needs to change you got college coaches leaving for lesser roles in in professional sports and there's these unlimited transfers and the conference realignment it's just a bunch of things that's just something's got to give right now yes it's because these news items they seem like really really big deals and i so i can see why um you know of course a lot college football reporters are talking about them a lot but as a a fan it's kind of like yeah okay because we know everything needs to change. And so these are just kind of necessary steps, but we still don't have the solutions yet. So that's kind of what yeah. we're waiting for is, is for actual real, like what is this sport? What is college sports going to look like in a few years? We'll see. We're still kind of in the early stages there, but uh, other news that sort of relates to, to NIL and transfer portal uh, Jeff Halfley left oh. Boston College, so sitting head coach, leaving a power four school, if you want to call it that, to become the defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. And yeah, he cited struggles with NIL and the transfer portal and all of that as one of the big reasons for his move. Did you have any thoughts on that? That's just like what we're talking about. It's just kind of the sign of the times where you're constantly not just recruiting talent outside of your program you're having to recruit your own guys every year to to try and stay committed and then you're having to fundraise and i can see where it's it's a 24 7 gig that could be wearing whereas 
you know, being a defensive coordinator, a little less pressure. And I mean, he does, he has ties to the floor, so it made sense, but, but it's still, it's, that wouldn't have happened. You would never hear yeah. that five years ago, especially five more than that too. I agree. It probably wouldn't have happened. It also probably wouldn't have happened if he wasn't basically having kind of a, a mediocre tenure there. Like I yeah. know this year was, you know, they went, I think what, seven and six. Yeah, so they, they, they had a bowl. nice year, yeah, but I mean, they were, nothing. they had a losing record in ACC play. They, he was 12 and 22 in his four years in the, in, in conference there. So they also weren't recruiting well at all. So I think it's, yeah, those definitely played a factor, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I'm sure going to the NFL for similar money and having a way less stressful job, it's not a bad, not a bad option. Yep. Um, okay, so Nick Saban, uh, this just came out earlier today as we record on Wednesday, is going to be an analyst on College Game Day. So he's joining ESPN. I'm I'm excited about that. Like I think it'll be interesting to you certainly care what he has to say. So having that right. star power on game day will be cool. And just to see a little bit more uh, looser Nick Saban, you know, rather than kind of the, the head ball coach. So we'll see. Yeah. Cause he's made like guest appearances in some of the, on some shows and he's a little dry, but you can, te- but he kind of has to, cause he's, he's not going to divulge, you know, something specific, but now that he, you know, he's out of the game, you feel like, I don't think he'll I hope he lets it go a little bit because you can kind of tell like he gives you a sneak where he's got a little bit of a personality. He just doesn't. And I hope I hope he kind of unleashes that and and can, you know, get in on the uh, the vibe that, that that the game day guys have. Yeah, he's just it, he's Nick Saban. He's a legend. I, I just think he's got to be a positive addition, even if he isn't the most gregarious like he will. Yeah, you'll learn. Won't say stupid stuff. That's that's for sure. Which is kind of like half the battle if you're if you're a college football analyst, because a lot of college football analysts lose that battle, including you and me. I threw myself in there at the (laughs) end. It felt too mean. I hope they put like a camera on him while like some of the other guys are talking. Just like if Desmond Howard says something stupid, he's just like (laughs) shaking his head. (laughs) Um, Okay, let's uh, let's get into the meat of this episode. Uh, National Signing Day was today on Wednesday, so recruiting pretty much racked up, wrapped up. Uh, Georgia-Bama finishing 1-2, no surprise at all there. Uh, let's start with some of the other winners, because you can hardly call them winners. That's just, uh, they do that every year. So, yeah. I mean, it uh, was, to, for Bama's credit, it was, it was pretty good, at least, to, to keep the number two class intact with uh, DeBoer coming. No, that's true. That is true. But it, it, but it isn't. With, you're that right. They had an early signing shock. day, but still. Yeah. All right. Do you want? Who do you want? You want to start? Me start. Go ahead. Start All right. Well, winners. my first winner is I'm going kind of up top too. It's Oregon. Um, they, I mean, for as far as a Big Ten class, they're neck and neck with them. They're actually number three in the nation. They've they've always recruited pretty well, but it jumped up a notch here. I mean, they're they're not messing around. They this upcoming season with just the talent that they have, they're going to be a factor in the big 10, but a class like this really helps set them up for the future. Uh, you know, Oregon as a program got a win in itself, recruiting landing to basically stay this off season. And then you also factor in not only this number three, a high school recruiting class, but they got the transfer hall that they got Dylan Gabriel, Dante Moore for the future, Evan Stewart from Texas A&M. Like, 
uh, just today they they kind of closed on the high school five star speedy receiver Gatlin Blair. Like, and the one of the things I like about their class is it's mostly at, up top. It's mostly D linemen. Like, an, they have an edge rusher. Really, the top half of of theirs is is defense. Um, they were able to flip a couple receivers: Jeremiah Jeremiah McClellan from Ohio State, Ryan Pelham from SC. They got the number one JUCO corner. Like, landing cleaned up. Yeah, no, they are. There's, I mean, I don't think there are more than five programs that I feel better about than than Oregon right now. Like they are yeah. just, they're going to be a contender for the foreseeable future. Uh, another winner I have is Miami. So they finished with the number four ranked class, three five stars, just pretty balanced uh, class. They especially killed it on the defensive line, uh, kind of like Oregon. Um, and this for, you know, w- with Oregon, their their class makes sense. Of course, they have great NIL with Phil Knight, but they've also been winning a ton. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Miami, they, they do have the NIL. So that, of course, is a big help. But Mario Cristobal's first year was bad. This past year wasn't great. No. So to be able to still be stacking, you know, high school recruiting classes like this is huge and that's a testament to Mario Cristobal being able to still kind of it's just a relentless recruiter and I know his coaching chops get uh, criticized rightfully so especially after in that Georgia Tech game this horrible decision he made there but I just think he's this Miami's headed in the right direction like they are he has to be raising the floor yeah I mean they they it's just very difficult to put these types of recruiting classes together it can happen of course we've seen it with certain programs in the past but like it's very gonna be very difficult for them to not improve i know but man like be very it's gonna be very interesting like this year on the field if they go somehow yeah. only like six and six again or something i mean the heat's gonna start to be on it would be bad at some no, point you gotta deliver but it is he's he's helping your case of liking him because they're almost gonna be too good to fail pretty soon I know, but what if I've got another Jimbo Fisher case on my hands? That's <laughs> true. That's a good point. Um, all right. My next winner is Auburn. They had the number seven class. and I, it's Great work by Hugh Freeze because Auburn, the last few years, they've been 19th, 21st, 19th before that. So now they're kind of getting back to where they were when they were competing for SEC titles, even national titles. Uh, he went. He went heavy on receivers. They didn't. Uh, this is crazy. They didn't have a single receiver this year that had over 400 yards, and only two of the receivers they had had more than 20 catches. So, he one of them was a five star flip from Texas A and M. Uh, they had a four star uh, Perry Coleman that was a, a Bama verbal at one time. So he because he's in the past at Ole Miss. We saw he had guys like DK Metcalf, Laqu- Laquan Treadwell. So. He kind of knows what to look for in terms of uh, the receiver position. Uh, got a five-star edge rusher, fifth-ranked quarterback. So Auburn is trending up. Yeah, and I just realized that we're we're using different rankings here. So we're both. It seems like I'm using the twenty-four-seven like high school uh, composite well, I, ratings. Are they tenth in the recruiting? Or they're tenth in, in the high school. You're, you you use the combined overall. high uh, high school and transfer. Oregon, so I, I th- mentioned they were third high school but okay okay i messed anyway. up on the uh auburn but yeah no, seven ten there's so way, many they're... rankings at this point especially with now the transfer portal that it's yeah yeah it's, it's tough but um okay texas tech is is my next winners and they 
they finished 24th, and that was with only 21 commits, which these days isn't a super small class, but it's still on the on the smaller side. Uh, Micah Hudson, the the five star receiver, is the of course the big get. But uh, 20 of the 21 players they brought in are from the state of Texas. So Joey McGuire using those uh, high school recruiting connections. The one guy was a, was actually a JUCO from California. So all the high school players were were from in state. Um, and yeah, I mean, Joey McGuire, they, their staff has become really well respected for identifying players early. Like they're often, you know, identifying guys before they're becoming four or five stars. So I think that helps their case. And he is, of course, to a lesser extent than Miami, but McGuire is, is you know, stacking some good uh, high school classes together. And I think they're, they're going to be a mainstay uh, in the kind of upper half of the the big the new big 12 moving forward and it's hard to say i mean there's so much probably going to be so much parity in that conference but i you know they're they're one of the contenders most years i would i would think moving forward yeah no it's perfect timing for them to when they when you start this new era of the big 12 you kind of want to start with a with a an advantage so that that's good um my next winner is syracuse and this is a surprise given they're, you know, in a transition period going from Dino Babers to Fran Brown. You know, Brown was just ranked the number one recruiter in the country thanks to his help with the the Georgia recruiting class. That, um, but obviously it's a different beast at Syracuse. He got the, I think it was the 40th ranked high school class, 34th if you include the transfers. And um, for some context on that, though, they've been like, they were 73rd a year ago, 65th, 60th, 57th. So this is clearly an upgrade from you know what they had with Dino Babers. And then the transfer headliner, most of us know that was Kyle McCord from Ohio State. Um, but his, the, his connections in the state of Georgia really helped because two of his highest recruits were a four-star tight end and an edge rusher from the state of Georgia. Um, which, by the way, the edge rusher, one of the best names – in the recruiting class, King Joseph Edwards. And the King Joseph is one word. That's very powerful very nice. name right there. But uh, it, it, this is something else I found interesting. So if you include the transfers, they had six four stars. If you go back to just 2020, they've had only one since then. So like the three, three, four years before they had, it was just, so this is, this is a reason you hire an unknown guy like Brown just to get you a jump like this, kind of help raise your floor in the ACC. Now, just hope he can, you know, develop and coach. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, we were kind of questioning the hire a I little was. bit at first, but this is that's a nice start. I mean, any any bit of excitement you get at Syracuse is is nice. Yeah. Um, last winner for me, Nebraska. They finished 18th overall, which is. Good for Nebraska anyway, but really good considering just how bad they've been on the field <laughs> for so long now. Like they're just clinging to any, I mean, you know, when you talk about how these players now who are 17 years old entering entering college, they really, of course, have no <laughs> recollection of Nebraska being any good. But uh, Matt Rule and staff were able to, to get it done. And of course, the biggest piece of this is Dylan Rayola. The number two overall quarterback in the country. Very lucky that he was a uh, a legacy of his dad yeah. playing at Nebraska. Uh, but to s- still to steal him away from Georgia, like that is a big time move. Because I, I mean, 
we both grew up big time Nebraska fans, and I can tell you, I definitely would not pass up Georgia to go to Nebraska <laughs> yeah. at this point. So uh, that's just great job by the Nebraska staff, by NIL, and it's it just gives Husker fans hope moving forward. It's just been bad news after bad news. It feels like for so many years, but there's somehow the program has momentum. <laughs> the yeah. program has not made a bowl in forever, but they have positive momentum, and it's just perfect for nebraska in the sense that their quarterback play was easily the number one position they needed to address just because how bad it's been but so they they just the offensive side of the ball in general and that's where most of the 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 top recruits they got are are on that side of the ball exactly and so hopefully even next year's class they can now that they saw that they can get a guy like that maybe they can build some other pieces around him but all right are we uh, ready to get Michael, to the losers? There's a, did you yeah. did you see in their class? If there's a there's a guy in their class that might make you feel old. Um, oh, they got Willis McGahee the fourth. Ooh, but that is yeah. he's not a running back. He's a, I think he's an edge rusher. But that's crazy. We're we're getting old, man. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, it is weird when you see familiar names. That is a that's a rough one. Yeah. That's a rough one for sure. Because, okay, so Willis McGahee, he was there in 01, right? So, or oh, yeah, that Miami team in that early 2000s. Was it, he got hurt in the, uh, was that 02? Or no, am I? In the, um, yeah, in the, the national, was that in the national championship? Was it the national Ohio title State? against Ohio, against Ohio State? One of those running backs did. It was, I think it was, was McGahee. Was it Portis? Yeah. Uh, but I think no, Portis Portis went off in the O one game. I think it was McGahee that Nebraska. that tore up his knee real bad in the in, in the uh, national, national title T- against Fiesta Ohio Bowl. State. But let me let me look that up. It's we are getting old because we can't even remember. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I know. Yeah, because Portis was the year before. Yeah, that we had it right there. Yeah. All right. So hopefully McGahee doesn't blow his leg out. But it says McGahee was injured early in the fourth quarter of Friday's game. A 31-24 double overtime victory by Ohio State for the national championship. They played the national championship on a Friday? Really? I don't remember that. I don't either. Wow. Huh. BCS national title. I kind of like that. Heck of a game. That's it's better on Monday. Yeah. Hmm. We should go back to it. Yeah. Yep. Um, Talk about some yeah. losers. All right. So I got to say Washington. Um, yeah. they're the 38th ranked high school class. I mean, you knew obviously they'd get crushed by losing DeBoer because, but prior to DeBoer leaving, they were sitting in a, a decent spot, but obviously, you know, just the existing talent that they had, that, that, ex- uh, the exodus of players going to the portal or the draft kind of crushed them. But then now even the recruiting class kind of hurt because on the, particularly on their defensive line, they had a really good class, um, set up but they had a four star that decommitted followed DeBoer to Alabama two more went to USC and Oregon and that kind of hurts too just double bad because they're in conference um then another guy Will Height opened up his recruiting again actually picked Nebraska today um Jed Fish he was able to at least he got some quarterbacks um uh, one of them followed him from Arizona after committing there both four stars. So they, they've kind of taken notice, you know, to how fish can develop the quarterbacks there. He was able to keep Will Rogers back out of the, tr- from transferring again. So, you know, overall though, they just, it's, it's crazy poor timing for Washington. They just were not able to capitalize on this magical run of, 
Yeah. You know, if you go to the national title, you think, okay, I'm going to get some momentum, get a good recruiting class, compound that with a move to the Big Ten. Like, that's tough, especially when your rival Oregon is just cleaning up. Like, yeah. Have to start over. That's that's brutal. It almost feels like, I mean, of course, it was a magical year and you had fun during it and you made the national title. It almost feels like it just didn't really do anything for you moving forward, right? Like if they just go seven and five this year, it's I, I just feel like the cachet from that national title almost wears off. Not it an is if, weird. It, it, it looking back, I mean, kind of like TCU, went, right? Like that's true. Yeah, is it really doing much for them that they made the national title a couple years ago? I mean, they did get but even, absolutely murdered. And, that's, so. and, it's even, and it's even maybe different in this case because because DeBoer left. Like. If you're, yeah, because if they would have gone like nine and three or ten and two, DeBoer probably isn't obviously at Alabama, and that, so they still have some momentum. Whereas Oof. now, do you, do, if you're a Washington fan, and right now, would you say I wish we would have gone? I know, ten and two. I think you. I think you have to. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I guess you. I guess taking back those moments would be that'd be pretty tough, like beating Texas and all that. But. Yeah, like you. You might not. I mean, you might, but you might not make the national title again for. Yeah, that's a that's a, <laughs> a good long time. hypothetical. Like, yeah, that'd be tough. Yeah. Anyway, uh, my first loser is the USC Trojans, the seventeenth mm. ranked class. No five stars. Only three players in the top two hundred. I mean, USC even with Clay Helton would often have top ten classes. They had a couple, at least a couple top five classes under him. I think so. For after year two to be outside the top 15 with Lincoln Riley as the head coach is just not at all what I expected the the day he was hired. I know that USC had a bad year on the field, but I don't even really feel like that's much to blame. Of course, we saw with, with Miami, you know, you can have yeah, yeah. bad seasons and, and still recruit really well. And, and also really the year before is often the, the bigger year like US, usc was coming off of an 11 win season in 2022 in year one so like there should have been incredible momentum going into yeah. this next year and they started out six and oh on the season so like you're, you're you're getting closer and closer to signing day and and it wasn't it's not like at that time usc was looking like oh they're gonna finish with a top five class they got all these five stars right. that are thinking about committing it just it never really uh came together so i'm not sure what the problem there is like I, there's a lot of of talk about nil um you know on like the usc message boards and usc administration being kind of cautious with it um but i you know i don't know if that's the only thing to blame if lincoln Riley just didn't hasn't built a a killer staff of recruiters like landing has at oregon i don't know but it's uh, it's definitely disappointing it's got to be it could be a hybrid of both, but I mean, if you take NIL out of the equation, like if this was ten years ago, it would have been it would be even more shocking that they're seventeenth. Right. Like they would, it'd just be a shoe in for top ten. Like they I just know. It, the, yeah, say their very... name and they're so. Yeah, it's interesting. All right, my next loser is Florida, and I'm going to preface this by saying, you know, it wasn't like an awful class. They were 14th in high school recruiting. But in the big bad SEC, that's kind of on the fringe, just kind of that middle portion there, maybe upper middle. Um, and the reason I looked at it as a loser was because of what it could have been. They were they were in the top ten late in the year, 
but they lost a lot of players. Yeah. Um, now, you know, when you're recruiting a lot of these top guys, like flips are going to happen. But I saw something since mid-November. They lost six top 150 players. Five of them went to other SE schools and another one went to Miami. So like that, just those six guys alone would be a decent class. Um, hmm. So, you know, because Billy Napier, he we you could say it, a million times he's obviously on thin ice with the fan base he needs recruiting wins like and even their their top two signees dj lagway the quarterback he got a late push from sc he stayed and then the, a d lineman lj mccray he kind of delayed signing made them sweat a little um th- they had to land those guys but the, you know they got enough in this class to give them hope but it's not a good sign when you have those flips out and even your top two guys kind of wavering so he just needs results on the field to get this stabilized. Yeah, that's they. You're right. He he needed. I feel like a, a really good class here to to get it within I mean, it, good it, graces. With those, with any, even if fans. they kept half those guys, it would have been a top six class probably. But yeah, just didn't pan out. All right, I'm staying in the in the same town. UCLA is my next loser. I think every UCLA fan is is saying that they absolutely should have fired Chip Kelly a few months ago. I think most of them wanted that to happen. They were calling for that to happen, and UCLA decided not to. Um, the problem is he's doing, you know, if you just look at his record on the field the past few years, crazy. he's doing fine. Like, you know, yeah. eight, nine win seasons, but you just can kind of see that they're not really... They don't seem to be building towards something good. Uh, they brought in the last ranked class in the Big Ten, 86th, only 10 high school recruits. And even the transfer oh, class wasn't great uh, this season. So, And they lose a decent amount of, of, of production. You know, They lost some, some key transfers um, this offseason. And Chip Kelly seems to be now desperately trying to find an offensive coordinator job either in the NFL or, or elsewhere. There's rumors of... Ohio State there's apparently I think he's might be interviewing with the Seattle Seahawks so now if if he leaves now it's just the timing is 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 terrible compared to you know if you did it right after the season you had a bunch of coaches available and you had you know maybe time to salvage some a uh, transfer class but this is uh this is bad it's just so weird like you know, we talked about it a few years ago when he just wasn't recruiting, but you kind of thought, okay, this is what he does. But you know, it, at some point you have to you have to. He put didn't even like, try. He just didn't. He didn't want to recruit, and so that's the the transfer portal. He probably would have been fired a couple of years ago if the if it, the transfer portal hadn't become such a big thing because he was at least able to, you know, yeah. hunker down and recruit for a couple of weeks that you need to in the in the portal to to stay, you know pretty good on the field but uh but yeah just with the high school recruiting he just never seemed to try no, he didn't because it's and you can't even i know they've had supposedly some issues with the nil because even like on the basketball yeah. front mick cronin has made murmurs but like but this has been a thing for with with chip the last few years it's not like brand new so even before nil was like because he had such cachet coming into yeah. ucla like right like florida wanted to hire it was him a great but, you thought it was a great hire yeah and and he just did. immediately they never really recruited well. No, it, um, it's been surprising. But yeah, yeah then I will be, say to be last behind like Northwestern and all this. What is what is that? Yeah, I will say I got to give Ryan credit. He was always much lower on the Chip Kelly hire from the beginning than everyone else when it looked like an A plus hire. Yeah, he he called it. All right, 
I'm going to go. My next loser is Baylor. Now, Dave Aranda, he, he seems like an awesome guy. I don't doubt that he can coach, um, but it's really starting to look like an uphill climb to get Baylor back to kind of where they were, especially at that, you know, that 2021 Big 12 title that they had. It, it's starting to look like a major outlier. Almost, you look at his career, now it's almost starting to look like Dino Babers, where he was he was two and seven in the COVID year, year one, whatever, but then 12 and two Big 12 champs. Okay, this guy's like, He's going to go to a bigger job, but six and seven and three and nine since then. And recruiting wise, they were 67th in the high school class this year. That's they're almost like last in the the new big 12. It was like 14 out of 16 or something like that. And, you know, a couple of years ago, you really thought Baylor would be a program that would thrive to be, or make a push to be the class of this, the new league. But the, and and just the recruiting overall, there's been a decline that's been concern, concerning because before he got there, they would be in the 30th range of recruiting. Since then, it's fallen. This year was his worst class. They had no four-star high schoolers, not a ton of hope. Like It's just, I, I don't know where they lean. They got to transfer Daquan Finn from Toledo, their quarterback. Like They're hoping he can at least like bridge the gap and they can develop, but it's not looking great for Baylor and Aranda. Okay, final loser here is I kind of a you know, you could make the argument that they're not a loser, but Colorado, they had the 117th ranked high school class. They only signed seven high schoolers, three of them top 100 players, including a five-star offensive tackle, so some talent there, but and and I get that this is a choice, right? Like they yeah. Dion has decided like I'm pretty much going all transfers, but if I were a Colorado fan for for the long term future of the program, I wish Dion would or Dion as it that way yeah. would. I just wish that he came in with wanting to at least show that he wants to be there for a long time and build it kind of more potentially sustainably. Because I just don't know if just huge turnover every year, bringing in tons and tons of transfers, is shows that he wants to be there for a long time or it seems like he's more concerned with just kind of getting to being pretty good as quickly as possible which you know is still There's I will say to it. yeah there is some credence to it and it's I wouldn't trade Dion for anyone else if I was a Colorado fan like it was still a great hire I think if I'm yeah. a Colorado fan but I just feel like if Dion was really really committed to bringing in a, a good amount of high schoolers, you know, still having a, just a, more of a balance, I guess, yeah. is, is what and it's I would like want. He, he obviously could. You would, I mean, yeah, just, I'm sure he could. He could have a because, good class. Because now it's like, yeah, he might get Colorado better, and I think he will and is, is doing that. But if he leaves in two years or one year, then what are you left with, right? Because you're not, he didn't, is not building a base of young talent, a kind of a foundation that will, you know, potentially stay with the program even if Dion left it's it's just kind they're, of a lot of they're yeah, so of bizarre because they're first in the in the big 12 in the transfer class but they're they're last in high school recruiting like i don't you never yeah. see that that's crazy no. and uh, in the short term like i said the short term i think it will pay off like i think they'll be i think they'll be better but yeah we'll just see how it works out in the long term for for the buffs but uh that'll do it for this episode of the college football bros uh thanks for tuning in here as we 
march on in the off season be sure to give us a five-star review on apple podcasts and a five-star rating on spotify and we will talk to you next week